You're listening to episode 150 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, the last few weeks have been pretty busy for me as I officially turned in the manuscript for the Five Masculine Instincts to the publisher. I'm hoping to give feedback on that and maybe continue some rounds of revisions coming up in the future, but I'm also well underway on getting all of the marketing efforts for the book set up. It's scheduled to release in March of 2022, so not that far around the corner. But I am excited to be able to bring you another conversation today, this one with Paul Batura, who is the Vice President of Communications at Focus on the Family. He's written widely for radio, online articles, essays, as well as books, both written and co-written. We have a great conversation about writing, some really helpful advice for writers, and also a discussion about adoption, a topic that he's really passionate about. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by Paul Batura. He's Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family, and in his role, Paul is responsible for media and guest relations. He has more than two decades of experience in the news media, broadcast journalism, publishing, and nonprofit administration. Paul has been with Focus on the Family since 1998, and prior to serving in his current capacity, he served as a top writer and advisor to both Focus founder Dr. James Dobson and the current president, Jim Daly. He's authored books including Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World, uh, one that I've had the privilege to read and I'm excited to talk about today, as well as Good Day, The Paul Harvey Story, and written uh, Mentored by the King, Arnold Palmer's Success Lessons for Golf, Business, and Life. He and his wife have had the privilege of adopting three young boys, and they joined countless other families in celebrating the courageous decision of birth mothers and birth fathers who choose life. Paul's also an active member of his church, where he serves as an elder and Sunday school teacher, and he's a writer and author who I've uh, been looking forward to talking a little bit more about his work, his books. Paul, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Chase. It's great to be with you. I appreciate the inv- invitation. Well, I'm uh, I'm really anxious to get some of your perspective on writing, particularly because you are a practicing writer yourself. You've done it, as I think we'll talk about, in, in so many different formats, but you're also a part of a media organization where you're working with writers. Um, how did writing become important to you? When did you recognize along the way that writing was a vocational calling, a part of the career path you were on? Well, you know, I'm, I'm like a lot of people, I guess, is that I grew up in a home surrounded by a lot of books, a lot of newspapers, magazines. It was really just part of our DNA as a family. My father took a train each day from New York City out to Long Island, and he would always bring home newspapers that he picked up on the train. And I just loved them as a kid. And so, you know, it's just something that I started doing when I was little. I started a family newspaper uh, and actually started writing letters to the editor uh, of our local paper, which was a small town community. and I just, it just felt like something that was so, somewhat romantic. I thought it would be a fun way to make a career. And so I started in my high school newspaper and then college newspaper and then uh, went to work for uh, radio and television uh, after college. So it, uh, it kind of just evolved, but it really started when I was really young. At what part of that process did focus on the family come into play? Because uh, I know that's been just a huge part of the work that you've done over the last few decades. How did that opportunity come about? Yeah, you know, I've been when I think about how old I am and how long I've been at Focus, it's half my life and and 24 years now. And uh, I was at a radio station in New York. It was WOR, a big talk station that I grew up listening to. 
And Dr. Dobson did a 90 second commentary on that station. And it was real pithy and it was uh, values based. It wasn't overtly Christian because it was a secular radio station. But, you know, listening to him, uh, I thought, I just like the way this guy communicates and uh, looked him up and got on the mailing list and started listening to the daily radio program, ordered a couple books. I, I still remember the day um, Life on the Edge arrived. It was right at the moment of my life when I was kind of making that jump from, from adolescence into young adulthood. And uh, I just, I thought Focus on the Family is an organization I would like to contribute to. So it was a little bit of a journey to get here, but it, uh, it has worked out and I'm very grateful. Yeah, that's a great story to, to look up to an organization, to be able to find yourself working there, and then to, after all these years, continue to speak highly of the organization, too. Uh, you hear a lot of stories that don't go that way. So it's, it's really uh, it's exciting to hear that not only did that work out, but it's, it's, uh, it's been such a, a great place for you to be able to be in right. It's been great. And, you know, the founder of Focus, he's uh, in, uh, transitioned out of Focus years ago, but we stay in touch and, you know, became a mentor to me, became a real uh, teacher to me. And, I, you know, I was a writer before I got here, but he shaped me and influenced me in countless ways. I, it would be impossible for me to overstate the influence of working with uh, Dr. Dobson. And just from, from a pure writing standpoint, to me, there's, you know, it's hard to teach somebody how to write. You can teach someone how not to write. And in many ways, that's what Dr. Dobson did for me. And I watched his edits. I watched how he edited himself. And it really influenced me in many, many ways. Yeah. As you reflect on some of his public work, what is it about his writings? Because, I mean, I think for most Christians, if you grew up um, in a Christian home, I mean, I can hear his voice in my head. You know, at some point, you, somebody's got the radio on and you're hearing a broadcast or a commentary. And um, what is it about his writing, if I could focus on that, that in your mind stood the test of time for so long, impacted so many, resonated so deeply with people, not just in the Christian space, but even you listening on a secular radio station and uh, talk about values? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things. The first one is that he's just a great storyteller. He knows how to get your attention. He keeps it real simple. Um, he often talked about uh, the fog index, which is a, you probably heard about it, a, basically a formula you look at and you, you figure out how simple your writing is. He liked to say that he, he tried to base his writing on the gospel of Luke. I think Luke had a fog index of six, which is very, very simple. He was a physician. So he wrote um, in clear, concise language. That's what Dr. Dobson did. Sentences are not overly long. They're short. They're uh, simple. Uh, he, he really tries to use a lot of illustrations and he connects, uh, you know, things to each other. It's not uh, esoteric. It's practical. And, uh, you know, he said, Jesus taught in parables. Why shouldn't we write uh, good stories? Because that's how you capture someone's imagination. You capture their attention. And uh, that's what he did. And he also wrote, uh, Chase, in very evergreen terms. When you look at his books, uh, any writer uh, would be envious. You know, at one point, Dr. Dobson had eight of the 10 bestsellers on, on the Christian top 10 list. And a lot of those books are still selling today. Uh, they're Dare to Discipline and Strong-Willed Child. You know, he captured and wrote on topics that were of timeless nature to the family. Um, you know, people, times change. People really don't. I mean, the, the human nature. And he often said he simply wrote from a biblical point of view. So it really, they weren't his ideas he was sharing. They were scriptures. And he just put it into contemporary terms. And 
So I think because of that, I think his writing has stood the test of time. Yeah, I think that's a good way to characterize it. I feel like my fog index is probably something more like John in the book of Revelation. Yeah, you know, I've always admired people who can write so simply and so succinctly and yet handle weighty things, which I think he's done well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, Paul, Paul, Paul Harvey used to say that, uh, or someone said of Paul Harvey, that he could write an entire paragraph in a single sentence. And as a writer, if you can do that, you're doing all right. Yeah, you don't realize how hard that task is until you write three or four paragraphs and try to put it in a sentence or two. And all of a sudden you realize the power of that. It's harder to write short than long. You know, as a kid, you you remember when you got an assignment from a teacher and it was like a five page paper and you thought, oh, my word, five pages. It's so long. But now when you, you know, when you get into writing, writing short is is a little bit more of a challenge, more concise. Yeah, it takes me a page to write my name, I feel like, most of the time. <laughs> You're just sort of getting into it. Um, one of the things I've, I've appreciated about you as a writer is you've worked in so many different mediums or genres. I mean, you've written books, you've written for news, for radio, um, essay, you've co-written. I mean, you really have this pretty broad uh, experience of all of the ways that somebody could could contribute through writing. Is there a, a favorite sort of medium that you enjoy writing in most? You know, it, I, that kind of a question I, I often think is a little bit like saying, which of your children is your favorite? <laughs> you know, I, I like kind of whatever I'm doing. I, I think there are elements of all of those that I really like. I, book writing is great because it, it, it's like spending time with a, a long visit with a good friend. You know, you're on a project for a long time. You get to delve deep into something. Um, news is fun because it's, you know, the quick turn. Uh, I like essay writing because you, it, it's a challenge to come up with a unique angle that's different than what everyone else is saying. And, and radio is fun because you get to write for the ear. But uh, I think at this stage in my life, I, I probably like the essay. The essay is something that I've done a lot of recently. Um, a lot of tributes. I, I love to shine a light on good people who are either doing great things or have done great things. And so, uh, you know, I'm, if I could, I'd write obituaries all day. I think, uh, you know, of people who, you can look at their life and you can kind of try and sum it up, find the nuggets, find the lessons that lead to the great legacy. That's been a, that's been a great passion of mine. Well, um, I think that comes through really clear in your book on adoption chosen for greatness. I, I want to get to that one, but uh, maybe I could ask that question another way too. When you talk with young writers or you're, you're sort of uh, uh, helping guide writers like uh, maybe Dr. Dobson did for you, do you give advice on where they should focus their their interest in writing? And the reason I ask is I get a lot of um, a lot of writers who will ask me, you know, they're trying to blog, but they're also maybe working on a book and they're trying to do maybe an article they would submit to an organization or news. Um, is there a good place to, to focus early when you're working on writing? Well, I, you know, writing is just to do it is, is a good, it's a little bit like uh, running. I think if you can get out and get, get, get a good run in, you're going to be better off than if you didn't. So, you know, the more you do of something, the easier it gets. Uh, I think in terms of what to focus on, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a combination of practical and pragmatic. I, I, I think someone should write about what they know about. They tend to, it comes across and it's pretty evident. I think you should also uh, kind of follow what is going to be uh, taken, you know, what's going to be published, what's publishable. Uh, I'm all for blogs. I think a a person's personal blog is great. That feels a little bit more like a journal. I mean, if you're writing and are not really getting many people to look at what you're writing, maybe that's a journal. But if you want to write for consumption, for distribution, I think you have to have a good fix on what people are interested in. And uh, that's what I would focus on. I would focus on what 
the market is uh, responding to and, uh, and how you can kind of meld the moment with your talents. And uh, that mix is always, you know, the, the, the sweet spot. If you, can, if you can figure out a way to write about what you know, what you love with what people are talking about, you'll be in a good spot. Yeah, I think um, that idea of thinking of those as a mix is helpful advice because it does feel like I may have things I'm interested in or I'm thinking about and oftentimes you're blogging those things, writing those things and, and you're right. Maybe that's just not resonating or they don't have the context <laughs> that brought you to that interest. Um, but at the same time, it does feel like if you're just chasing the next fad or whatever's popular, the truth is you may not have something to contribute or say to that. So finding that balance, you've done that in interesting ways because you've you've written across a broad spectrum. It's not like you've just written books on adoption or fatherhood. You've also written on um, historical figures that of interest to you. Um, how do you navigate finding that, trying to figure out, okay, this is something I'm interested in, and I think I can point to a group of people who would find it interesting as well? Well, you know, David David McCullough, who I love, I, you know, if, if there's a David McCullough book, I'm going to read it. And Yeah, his he, book on John Adams is my favorite biography. So, An amazing book. I mean, it, it, what a rich history and just the way he wove all that together. So yeah, you have good taste. I, I'll tell you, he said that the best advice he was ever given was um, to write the book or write the essay that you would want to read. Uh, you know, in essence, if someone hasn't done it, well, then go and do it. But more importantly, if it's of interest to you, it's probably going to be of interest to other people as well. So I think, you know, using that as a, a bit of a guide and a bit of a um, evaluator, evaluator, I think that that has been helpful to me. Uh, I'm, I, I'm a you know, I like a lot of different things. I'm very curious and I just, I, I just love to read. And so the more I read, the more ideas I get. And it's like anything else, you know, the more you do something, the more you get to do it. It, it just, it's like a, it's like the compound interest, The you know, so I just start doing it. I mean, that's the, that's the number one thing you can do is if you want to be a writer, start writing and, um, think good things will happen. Well, one of those areas that I do think comes through uh, really authentically for you is the area of adoption. You've written on it. You have a book on it. Um, it comes across as one of those things that's probably a good example of this. It's a real world situation people find themselves in, but it's also something that's personal and passionate for you as well. Um, how did adoption come about as one of those areas you wanted to spend your time and also spend time helping others with as well? Well, I appreciate you um, taking a look at that book. That's it. That project was a real labor of love. And, you know, it came about because my wife and I were married for a few years and struggling to start a family and, uh, you know, disappointment after disappointment and lost several children. And uh, ultimately we wound up adopting and the great joys of our life to have adopted three boys. And as the boys have grown, I started, you know, talking with them. And one of the bits of advice Dr. Dobson gave me was when you have a child who's been adopted, they should really never know a day when they didn't know they were adopted. So just talk about it. And, and, you know, from even before when they understand. So we would talk, talk about it as a family. And I found myself trying to normalize it and, and talking to them about, uh, you know, well-known folks who had been adopted and telling their story. And that's where that idea came from. Cause I thought, you know, a lot more people are adopted than you may think. And adoption has touched your life more than you may think. If you haven't adopted or you don't know someone in your family who's been adopted, you might think that's someone else's issue. But the reality is it has touched every life because of the contributions 
uh, people who have been adopted have made. And that, that was just sort of a, a thought I had when we kind of weave these stories together. And, and, uh, that was a, that was a lot of fun. Well, um, I really, really enjoyed the format of the book, too, because uh, when I first picked it up, you know, you think it's just going to be a book explaining adoption to you or talking about the common challenges. But you frame the whole book around uh, these recognizable figures who have their own personal experiences of adoption. I mean, people from people I had no idea people from Steve Jobs to Nancy Reagan. To, uh, I think the last chapter is Leo Tolstoy. Um, how did that, how did you discover that format? Cause I, I don't think that's the most obvious way to, to approach the book, but, uh, obviously a lot of work went into just collecting these stories, identifying them, weaving them together into themes. Um, it's just a really interesting way of approaching the topic. Yeah. Again, I, I guess I thought this is the type of book I'd want to read. And knowing that it was a bit of an eclectic mixture of people, I thought, you know, how best, how best to do this. I, I wanted to create something that could be picked up and you know, you you only have a few minutes to read one chapter, one profile. You can if you want. If one person interests you more than the other, I just was trying to make it super, um, you know, like putting the cookies low on the shelf so that it would be of interest to a broad spectrum of people. And um, that's kind of how I just dove in. And you know, each each profile you know stands alone, but yet I try and connect all those stories with you know different elements of adoption from you know the history of the orphan train to the history of orphanages. And, um, it was, it was, it was great fun, uh, really to kind of tell in, in many ways, I, I guess I'm influenced a little bit by, uh, the Paul Harvey method of the rest of the story, you know, which was, uh, kind of weave a tale that would be surprising to people. Uh, although I, you know, obviously you, you know, the person was adopted. Uh, he was just a masterful storyteller and I'm sure he influenced me in this, in this project. Well, I, uh, there's something really pastoral that resonates about the way the book is written too with me. I, um, actually, my cousin, uh, about my age lost her husband in a tragic car accident a few months ago and left behind, unfortunately, a couple of kids. And I had the honor of going out and doing the funeral service. And I've been working sort of based off of what you did here too, a list of, of, uh, men who grew up without fathers who may have lost their father when they were young, uh, just as something I want to be able to give to him and kind of continue to walk through with him. So there's something really pastoral about the way that you're using these stories. Um, and I think flows out of your own experience as, as being a, a father to three adopted boys. Um, you alluded earlier to this idea of stories are powerful ways of communicating truth from the parable that you referenced to the way that you're using these historical figures, their stories. Um, maybe you could f reflect for a second why story has been so central um, and why you think stories are a particularly powerful way to impact somebody change somebody's life into these truths? Yeah. Well, I think first is that um, most of us, when we hear a good story, it gets our attention. Um, so we sort of stop what we're doing, you know, whether you're sitting around a campfire or you're around a dinner table, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's entertaining, it's captivating and it's intriguing. And so you grab someone's attention and um, that's of course the number one rule is if you can get someone's attention, then you can, then do the next thing, which is to kind of dig into what you're trying to communicate. So, uh, you know, that's the first thing I think is that stories grab our attention. The second thing is that I think all of us, um, you know, know that we, we're living our own story. Um, we all are on a great journey. Um, we all put ourselves in other people's shoes, or at least we should. And I think when we do, we recognize that um, there's a lot to learn from someone else. But, you know, we, we tend to live vicariously through other people. We fantasize, we dream, 
we, um, you know, just sort of live vicariously. And that I think is something else that is, is very attractive and it pulls us in, uh, you know, people will often go to movies, you know, to escape from reality. And, uh, we probably do that even in a good book when you're reading a novel. I don't tend to read too many novels. I, I there's to me, there's so much out there, uh, in, in real life and history that is so fascinating that I just, I kind of have fallen for that. And so I, I'm not, I have nothing against good novels. And in fact, I think anyone who can tell a, a good novel is, is remarkable. Uh, and I just think there's, there's just, I've chosen to put my writing efforts in the nonfiction realm. Uh, but it, uh, it, it, and it's just downright entertaining, like good stories are fun and adventurous and um, I think that's probably what keeps us coming back for more. Uh, it's interesting because in writing, you kind of tend to think of these as two different things. There's sort of the novel fiction route you go as a writer, or there's the nonfiction route you go as a writer. And particularly as a pastor, the nonfiction route seems to be more didactic, seems to be more logical, uh, more explanatory. Uh, but your book's a good example of nonfiction that's written narratively that uses story. Um, do you think that's a powerful tool that some nonfiction writers are missing when they think about what they do as a writer, the power of story? I think so. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because I think some people are eager to share information. Statistics, I, <clears throat> we, our oldest son is uh, almost 16, and uh, he's in speech and debate club, and uh, he's you know even doing impromptu speeches. And he loves, at least early in the season here, he was like burying people with facts and figures. And, you know, and, and after a while, you kind of glaze over, you know, that you sort of lost me. Whereas a good yarn, you know, that or just a good telling of a story immediately pulls me in. Uh, so we've kind of been working through that. And, and I think he's recognizing that. But I think a lot of nonfiction writers are all about uh, can be all about truth. If specifically if you're writing from a Christian point of view, because, you know, the scriptures are true and uh, there is a lot of black and white when it comes to scripture. Uh, so I think there's probably a tendency to get a little bit uh, moralistic, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, ser you know, sermonize and that sort of thing. Whereas, uh, you know, a good story has to breathe. It has to kind of take you in and out. And uh, there's maybe a little gray in it, too, which uh, is, is always fun to kind of navigate. Well, we've uh, spent a little bit of time talking at the beginning about you uh, finding your way to uh, Focus on the Family. Uh, maybe you could take a second, too, and talk a little bit about the work that you're currently doing at Focus on the Family, how you're serving today. Yeah, I have, uh, thank you for that. Um, I uh, currently serve as the Vice President of Communications, which encompasses um, a variety of different areas, but primarily dealing with the, the media, uh, both reactively and, and proactively that we reach out to. Uh, I serve at the same time as a collaborator with Jim Daly. So he's our president and host of the Daily Radio program. Uh, we work together on blogs, on opinion pieces, um, and uh, I've done a couple books with him. And, you know, that collaborative effort is a lot of fun because, um, if when you're a writer who doesn't really have a platform like someone of Jim Daly's caliber, uh, who, you know, hosts a national radio program, uh, you get to in some ways live and write vicariously uh, through him. When you draft something for him, you know, your writing is getting seen by a lot more people than otherwise would see it if it was only written by you. So I get to do that every day. 
and that's a lot of fun because you're helping shape and tell stories again through uh, the eyes and perspective of the president of Focus on the Family. So that's pretty much what I do during the day. And then a lot of my other writing I do, um, you know, in, in my own free time. Well, um, I imagine in your role, in addition to doing writing, you probably see a lot of other people's writing come across your desk. Is that part of the job as well? I do. Sure. Yeah. We get people pitching us on things all the time, whether it's article submissions, book proposals, actual books, um, all, all kinds of creative efforts come come through here. Sure. So what um, when you think about all that, the volume of writing you're looking at all the time, evaluating, what are some of the things that stand out to you, the kinds of writing that you're looking for, the things about writers that are pitching you that stands out? Um, maybe just some general advice to those many who are listening who are pitching people quite often, uh, things that really stand out for you when you see writing come across your desk. Yeah, I mean, of course, it depends in somewhat on the genre. So if you're if you're wanting to write opinion pieces, um, you know, you have to have clear, uh, concise, um, strong point of view. Uh, you know, trying to take something down the middle of the road, you get run over. So I always look for something that's um, going to be clear. You know, the old three C's: clear, concise, correct. Um, I also think um, you need to uh, do it quickly. Um, you know, it's certainly an opinion piece, 500, 600 words. Uh, it needs to get to the point pretty quick. Uh, it also uh, needs to be compelling. So, you know, wh- what am I learning? What's new that I haven't, that I don't already know? Uh, I think there's a tendency to repackage things. Uh, you know, as I, as I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of evergreen nature of things, you know, humanity, uh, you know, times change, people don't. Yet at the same time, uh, you know, we all want to be uh, reading something that's fresh. And so I look for that. I look for the conciseness. Um, and then, you know, the, the ability to connect dots is something that a lot of people don't do um, somewhat because I think some people can be lazy. They um, kind of meander a bit. Uh, but, you know, you connect the dots Dr. Dobson used to say, um, it's like pickets on a fence. They connect, you know, one to the other. You have to do it. And it takes time to do that. Um, a lot of people, I think, are not willing to spend the time to edit. Um, you know, because we have all, you know, all of us are writers now, right? We all have social media accounts. People have blogs. Uh, you can become a writer fairly easily. But good writers take time to edit themselves and edit themselves and edit themselves. And uh, you really have to take time. And, uh, you know, it's pretty evident to me when something comes across my desk that has not been put through that treatment. Hmm. So it sounds like there's a couple of big areas. One is the the craft piece of it. Um, you know, you expect it to be quality writing, well edited, clear. Um, but the other piece is one that I feel like I recognize a lot, too, that it, there has to be something to say. Um, it seems like there's a lot of writers who like the idea of writing and being a writer and the actual the actual message, the thing that the, sort of their perspective on something that's unique or that stands out or that says it uh, in a compelling way that that can be missing, that the writing can just feel too generic sometimes. Is that true? That's absolutely true. And uh, a lot of times it can mean inserting yourself into the story in the sense of you're a unique personality. God has created each person with a unique story to tell, with a unique point of view. And, and I'll tell you, I, just from a personal standpoint, a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of profile pieces. I had written biography on Paul Harvey and the adoption book. And my wife said to me one day, 
she said, you know, you don't share a lot about what you think. You tend to share about what other people think. And, you know, that's the nature of profile writing or biography writing. She said, I think I'd like to see more of what, like your take on things. And so I started, uh, I thought, well, I was a little bit hesitant and reluctant because I thought that felt a little um, self-important, you know, kind of like, who am I? Like, why would people be interested in what I Yeah, think. I want to make sure other people are hearing that because I resonate with this. Like you're you're working at a major organization, you're writing with very well-known authors, you've published some great books yourself, and even you are saying, I don't I don't know, <laughs> do I have something to say? This is a struggle for you too, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um yeah, and and of course some of it's self-esteem. I mean, we all suffer a little bit from that, uh, more some than more, you know, some more than others. But I I kind of jumped in and I remember the first piece I did was on um a meeting I had with Ronald Reagan. Um, and it, it, I won't go tell the story. That's not really relevant, but it was a personal meeting one-on-one. He was in Al- in his Alzheimer's season, but I had had a chance to meet him and I wrote it and I submitted it for publication and it just did really well. Like it got a ton of clicks and the editor called and said, you know, I think we'd like to have you write every week. Like, why don't you do something every week? So that kind of started this two year journey where I was actually writing every week. And you know, not everyone did as well as that one. Um, and but you really you mine the depths of your life, and you know it's not about you, but it's about what the Lord is doing through you, the observations you've made, and it, you know that's that was really good advice from my wife. And um, I hope it, you know, I, I, I hope things don't come across as uh, ego, you know, egotistically driven. But you know, you have a pen, you have a platform use it. I mean, use it and um, share what what the Lord is doing in your life. When you think about uh, the way that all of the writing you've done has contributed to others, um, what do you think the possibility is for writers within the church? Uh, I know you're a a churchman yourself, you're serving, you're teaching. Um, How how do you see writing contributing to the church and to believers uh, in a way that is a, a real sense of calling for those who do it? Oh, I, I think it is a gigantic opportunity. Um, and I think it's a gigantic responsibility too. Um, yeah, I was, I, some of your listeners may remember there was a guy back in the 1950s, 60s, 70s named Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He, he was a Catholic, uh, and, you know, very, very prominent at the time. He actually had a best-selling, or not a best-selling, he had a, a popular television show that was like top ranked in prime time. But he, when he, he won an Emmy and he actually got up and he said, um, I want to thank, um, my writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. (laughs) It was cute. And, uh, you know, he was using his platform, uh, to, you know, just evangelize and bring non-church people back to church. And, um, I, I just think that as Christian writers, especially now with orthodoxy, you know, under fire and, uh, you know, a lot of people taking great liberties with the scriptures and taking, uh, you know, the scriptures not seriously, you know, as a, as a Christian writer, uh, I think we can do a lot to help support pastors, to help support, um, you know, missionaries, people who are out there every day as a writer, I want to write things that are going to compliment, that are going to lift up, that are going to, uh, really, um, you know, serve you know, to help and, you know, grab eyeballs and, and hopefully influence people. 
Yeah, well, I think your writing uh, across so many of those genres is a great example of it and just a willingness to serve mm-hmm. and to write even when others are getting the credit, whether it's your name on or not, just that willingness to serve the church, to use your, your gifts as a writer, um, I think is just something for many writers to be able to emulate. Uh, the book uh, that I got a chance to read, I highly recommend, Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. I highly recommend it, and I'll have links in the show notes. But Paul, what's the uh, what's the best way for people to keep up with your writing, to maybe follow some of the work that you're doing, stuff that's coming? out in the future, the best way to uh, maybe get a chance to read something new? Well, um, my email, I have a website, paulbatura.com. My email is paul at paulbatura.com. I love to hear from people. Um, Let me know. I'm trying to get a newsletter going where I can email out, uh, you know, recent things I've written. I write for the Daily Citizen, which is a focus on the family's public policy publication. Um, And so, you know, I'm a contributor to Fox News. I'm on there. Uh, happy to happy to in, in, engage and interact with anybody, um, but I, it's very very kind of you to uh, have this conversation, and I, I think it's it's wonderful to have a forum for for Christian writers and people who like Christian writing to uh, to chat with one another. Yeah, I think the same thing, and hopefully uh, we all get a little better in the process as well too. Amen. It's uh, we're we're all a work in progress, aren't we, Chase? Yep, absolutely. Well, Paul, a real honor, a privilege. Uh, wish you the best. And uh, if you haven't, pick up uh, one of Paul's books. Check out some of his articles and uh, take him up on that opportunity. Right, write to him and let him know what you're working on as well, too. So, Paul, real honor and a privilege. Thank you, Chase. Same here. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 150. There you can find links to Paul's website as well as information about his book. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you might take a moment to leave a review. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts, clicking maybe one of the star ratings or taking a moment to type out a review of the show. Those reviews help new listeners find the show, but they also give me feedback to help continue to improve it. And we're getting close to 100 reviews. It would mean a lot to me to push that across the threshold. So if you've got a moment, I would deeply appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.